listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. We're knocking on September's door, which means our lives will once again have meaning very shortly because training camp is oh so close. And for us, it only took six years, but The Bannerman will have a guest on the podcast for the first time. It will be a menage a trois of Miserable. How are you tonight, Vardy? I'm good, man. Happy to be back after a little over a month's absence. Even happier to have a good friend, Jesse Cohen, on with us. Jesse Cohen, take a bow. Hey, guys. How you doing, Jesse? I'm doing, I'm doing the rounds. How's your summer been? Uh, started out chaotic and hectic and crazy, and it has settled into boring and monotonous, and I want it to be over. <laughs> you've, been, you've been pumping out content like a machine, though, man. That's what I do. That's what you do. Much better than us. <laughs> At the end of last season, somebody came up to me, or maybe it was last off. It was last off season. Somebody came up to me near the end of last off season was like, "Man, you had a great summer. Like, how are you going to top it?" And I generally don't act this cocky, but I just said, "Thanks. Watch me cook." <laughs> <laughs> that is what the kids say. Let them cook. I love it. I feel like I've made good on that on that swagger. You have. And for us, I think we've always kind of tossed around the idea of having a guest. Obviously, it's never happened, but I don't think I can think of a better first guest, just given um, how we started this podcast. Your podcast was a big inspiration for it. And the amount of times you've helped us, invited us onto your show. So if we ever were going to have a guest, I think we both knew you would be our first ask. So thank you for joining us, man. You've been busy, like you My said. Pleasure. So so uh, every year we do this list episode and we try to come up with different topics. Uh, in the past, we've done ones like the 10 active players who are former Kings that we wish were still on the Kings. We don't want to revisit uh, that list, by the way. We don't want to. We don't want no. to. It's painful in hindsight. <laughs> um, we've done 10 things that we would change about the NHL in that moment. Uh, can you think of any other ones? God, I'm trying to think like off the top of my head. Uh, we've done uniform stuff a couple of times. Uniform, um, yeah. Best Kings jerseys of all time, stuff like that. But uh, yeah. today's topic, given the summer, actually maybe given the last three summers where Rob Blake has been very active in the trade market uh, and keeping in the kind of spirit of being negative that the Bannermen are known for, we went with... <laughs> the five worst trades, in our opinion, in King's history. So uh, each of us will have we'll give our top five worst trades plus a bonus kind of a bonus answer of a trade that everyone loved that we thought was crap. So this is going to be fun once we get around to that. Um, but before we do, Jesse, I want to ask you just, I'm sure you've been around uh, the team, so to speak, maybe not the team itself, but... Hey, Gavrikov winked at me this morning, so I've been around the same. You're way on the inside, obviously. Yeah. Um, what is the excitement level? What is kind of the expectation around the office for this upcoming season? Well, that's a funny question. Um, it's high because, you know, obviously, right, a, a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois, high profile, comes in, and and regardless of how you – feel optimistic or pessimistic you're curious right you want to see how it works out the knock-on effect of all that is okay now that Pierre-Luc Dubois is here is he going to pair with Kevin Fiala does Kevin Fiala find a permanent home in the lineup does that give him stability to produce is Kaliev going to 
you know, flourish in a spot like that? Does he even get that spot? Is Brant Clark in the lineup? Is Quentin Byfield going to cash in on uh, on the expectations? What's the goaltending? And I mean, there's so many questions that, yeah, it is exciting. Um, but, you know, I was chatting with a co-worker today right before a meeting started and I hadn't really spoken to him in a while. So I just said like, hey, how's your summer going? And he laughed and he said, it doesn't feel like summer for us anymore because <laughs> uh, his department is already waist deep in prep work for the upcoming season. And anyone who listened to the recent episode of all the Kings men about the promotional nights and everything, you'd have heard Michelle and, and um, Kylie, sorry, you know, they've been working on some of this stuff since midway through last season. So I have the benefit of, I'm probably the only person in the office who doesn't really start working on this season in earnest until this season starts. Everything I'm doing is just sort of twiddling my, I actually feel bad because I'm wandering around the office bothering people. Um, <laughs> I don't have anything to do. Um, well, that gives you does. time to pick your five worst. Kids yes. <laughs> yeah. But I think I honestly, I think you've, again, we joked about this, but like, I, I do think that part of your your summer is coming up with those ideas, is coming up with those those topics that people want to hear on the podcast and finding people like Larry Murphy to interview and and have him and and Jim Fox go down memory lane and and just kind of reminisce over all those things and then even talk about the the you know the promotional schedule. I think it's it's one thing to just have a calendar be posted on a website and I think it's something else entirely when you get to talk to the people who have worked on those things and put a lot of thought into the products and stuff like that, that are going to come around. So, and, and maybe to your point, you know, there, there, maybe there isn't a, any summer anymore because there is that level of excitement for the team and what's coming. There are two conversations that in the moment, I didn't know if they were true, but looking back on them, they're more true than they've ever been. There was one moment. Oh gosh, it was probably eight years ago. And, um, I had lost my job, lost my home. Well, I didn't lose my home. I won't go into all the details and specifics, but I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't know what I was going to do for a job. The company that I worked for had shut down. And it was the summer of 2015, I think. Mm. Um, and I had a decision to make. And I was trying to explain it to my mom. <laughs> Bless her bless her soul and i was trying to explain to her that like i'm not gonna go get a job at starbucks because or or wherever right just to pay bills in the short term because if i do i can't throw myself into what i'm doing with the kings and if this is going to have any chance to succeed i need to have every minute of my time free to devote to this as best i can and the other conversation was probably a year either before that or after that, having a conversation with some people that no longer work for the Kings, trying to explain to them how many hours a week I actually work hmm. and trying to explain to them that every hour I'm watching a game is work. Every hour I'm reading the websites, the message board is work. Every hour that I'm sitting in my home looking at cap friendly or hockey DB or hockey reference or natural statric is work. Like, yeah, that all of that is so that when I have a, an hour to talk or whatever it is, I'm I can and I'm prepared and I'm saying things that are worth listening. To. It's it's funny you bring this up because, you know, we we've had a, a little WhatsApp thread with all our friends basically since COVID started. And more recently, we've been talking about how we all belong to what we've 
unaffectionately started calling the 60-80 club, where you may be working 40, 50 hours a week, but in reality, you're probably putting in 60, 70, 80 hours. And so it's just all of us have kind of just been talking about how much work we do outside of work that is additional work or helping the work that you already do. And it's it, it seems like a lot of people are actually kind of in that situation, but that's also kind of what brings on the kind of success that you've had, obviously, and brought you to this point. I used to live with a, a guy who was one of my close friends and he was a pediatric resident at the time hmm. and he would get these medical journals in the mail and I'd see him reading them and I'd look at him and I'd be like, what are you doing? Like you're, you're, I guess when we started living together, he was a resident, but then he graduated and started working and he was like, well, you know, every so often they test us on updates to the profession. And I was like, what, what? You have to hold down your gig and continuously update. He was like, yeah, that's the gig. And it's lifelong learning, man. Yeah. So, you know, I was on a deep dive. I won't tell you guys the topic, but this week I was on a deep dive reading articles and going through Wikipedia pages and trying to look into all sorts of lawsuits and stuff like that. Just so I could just so I could properly understand the, you know, the landscape that we're currently in. (laughs) I will say though, listening to you describe like poking around hockey websites and doing research on hockey as work, mm-hmm. I do envy you a bit because whenever I do that during my nine to five, all I feel is guilt and not <laughs> sure. happiness. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, like I said, when I had those conversations in the time, I didn't think I wanted to believe them, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah. Now you got a whole generation of kids trying to do that on yeah. Twitch and YouTube and whatnot. I sound like such an old title. <laughs> you are an old. We are all. Old. We all are. Uh, our curmudgeoniness will, will no. I'm sure, rear its head shortly here. Yes. Uh, you did mention the Pierre Luc Dubois trade, Jesse, and mm-hmm. it's such a polarizing trade. I I don't know if I'm trying to think back if there has been a trade that was so split, and I really? and I've seen a. Yeah, I really huh. do feel like it's polarizing. Okay. I guess I'm judging it on Twitter and some conversations I've had here and there. But I feel like you either love it or you hate it. It's like one of those, one of those deals. And, and the, of course, the, the truth is that none of us really know whether it's going to be good or not, and that's kind of the nature of the beast. What was your initial reaction to the transaction? Um, all over the place, probably. Um, I am incredibly conservative by nature when it comes to roster building i don't like big swings or big changes uh at the end of the season two years ago i think um we did like a round table with the la times and somebody asked me which free agents i thought the kings should target what big players they should be looking at and my answer was none and my reasoning was we just spent five years being bad and we've acquired all these draft picks and and i have been part of an effort to remind people that we have this highly touted prospect pool. So it feels, it felt to me like a little bit of a betrayal of the fan base to spend five years being non-competitive, acquiring all these young players and then not see if they're any good. Um, So when the Kings acquired even Kevin Fiala, I was a little bit dubious but I have to admit, I have come to really love the play of Victor Arvidsson. 
anybody who's listened to me anywhere knows that I love Phil Deneau. I'm prepared to love Kevin Fiala. Um, <laughs> I am prepared to love Pierre-Luc Dubois. But there is part of me that just wants a team exactly like what I'm incorrectly remembering the 2011-12 team as, yep. which was all, all homegrown talent, which of course isn't right. true. Right. You know, if you look down that roster, it's like, well, Justin Williams, Jeff Carter, Mike Richards, Willie Mitchell, Rob Scuderi, you know, um, Simone Gagne. Yeah. There were tons of guys on those rosters that weren't homegrown talent. The fact that Dowdy, Kopitar, Brown and Quick were kind of clouds that memory. So sorry that there's a long. Um, no, it's, it's why we're so here. The, so the Dubois trade, I think before it happened, I was against it because I didn't know what the return would be. I didn't have a problem with the inclusion of I follow because that was the obvious one. You know, you can't have a guy making $4 million playing on your fourth line. And that was probably where he was most likely to wind up. So that made sense. Kupari. I like Kupari, but Kupari was settling into a pretty distinct role here. And, you know, there were not so subtle quotes coming out of the front office about what they imagined Rasmus Kupari's role to be. And it was fourth line penalty killing guy. And, you know, maybe he'll be good at it. Maybe he won't. I don't know. That one didn't hurt my feelings too much. I know you guys hated that they included Gabriel Flaherty in the trade. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Hate is, I think, the correct word. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that will be the the metric by which the trade is judged. If if Velarde goes on to be incredible and Dubois is pedestrian or not incredible, then that'll, that'll sting. Um, however, if Gabriel Velarde turns into, you know, what was wheels first name? Jordan. Uh, yeah. If he turns into Jordan wheel, then no one will care and it'll be great. Um, the real issue for me, and it's the same issue I had with the Kovalchuk trade not trade the Kovalchuk acquisition is right, right. The real issue for me is the cap hit because the yep. trade is assets in assets out, whatever trades happen. That's fine. The issue for me was the contract because it puts the Kings in a really tight position up against the cap this year. And it complicates things down the line. I have faith in the organization and in the team assembled to make the goaltending hold up. And then next offseason, who knows? Guys, you know, their contracts will be up. There'll be renegotiations. Maybe the cap goes up. We'll see. But that's that was my initial oof was the the contract. Um, but it's only one year that it that we know the actual impact of it. And it hasn't resulted in players moving out. Like once they got Dubois. Nobody else had to leave, right? They sorted out the Andre Kopitar extension. We'll see if it costs the team Roy or Arvidsson down the stretch. Mm -hmm. We'll see mm -hmm. if it costs them, you know, because of cap space and everything. But at least for now, it doesn't have to. Whereas when they signed Kovalchuk, everyone was like, oh, it's, it's great. It's just money. It's not a trade. We're not losing anything. And you looked at the roster and you said, no, they've brought in Ilya Kovalchuk. But by virtue of bringing in Ilya Kovalchuk, they will have to lose either Pearson to Foley, Muzzin, or Martinez. Um, as it turned out, the season went straight in right. the tank. And so they right. wound up losing all four of them. But at least they got returns for three of them. 
Um, so we'll see. It's to be TBD, I guess. Yeah, I think I think the the classic school of thought is whoever got the best player wins the trade, right? Yeah, and I, I think uh, cap hit notwithstanding, because I think cap hit is obviously a very relevant uh, piece of the picture in the in the current era of the NHL. But I think ultimately it comes down to which one of those two players, Gabriel Velarde or Pierre Luc Dubois, is going to be a the best player out of that trade, and obviously. Okay, the Kings win a cup with PLD at center, and even though he's putting up 55 points, 60 points, something like that, then <laughs> no one's going to care. The The yeah. trophy, the banner is all that matters. But uh, historically, it's whoever ends up getting the best player from the trade ends up ends up winning the trade, in my mind. Yeah. I wonder... At least, and, and, at least that's how I graded a lot of these trades that we're about to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, how much stock do you put into the idea, Jesse, that because Vegas became kind of this mercenary team that kind of disregard futures, not all the way, they still have some of their draft picks and stuff like that, but, but they really, because of their inaugural inaugural season and the success they had, they kind of went all in on, let's try to win a cup as soon as we can. Let's do, let's get the guys we need or we perceive that we need and futures be damned. Nick Suzuki be damned. Let's get all these guys. How much stock do you put into, into the idea that this is still a copycat league and based on their result, maybe other teams are following. Not a ton, because this league, sports in general, one of the biggest gripes I have with sports in general, and I understand why it happens, but, you know, look at Austin Matthews in Toronto, who just signed for, what, 13.25? Right. Would you guys rather have one Austin Matthews or two Kevin Fialas? I mean... I, I love one Kevin Fiala, so <laughs> two's, two's better than one in my mind. Matthews had, what, 80-something points last year? Yeah. yeah. Well, Fiala had 70-something points last year? Yeah. So you're getting 150 points for the same price, and I, I get it. Matthews center, and he wins phase I, I guess my point is, yeah, there there's always going to be some team that overpays individual talent in the moment, and there's always going to be teams that – build through the draft or or through youth there will be teams you know in 2011 2012 the kings and the coyotes and the blues were all thought to be mirror images of each other right and that was the way you built a team and then the penguins won it two years in a row by being fast and small and then tampa you know did it through i mean it's always shifting there are teams that will copycat and there are teams that will follow but there will also be teams that are looking to zag and beat everybody. I mean, it's it's more competitive than it is copycat, and the competitive seat, the competitive search for an edge will lead people to do their own thing. I agree with that. Um, I think it only takes one shift to like shift the entire narrative of the league, right? Like right now, yeah. I think the big thing is like, oh, Aiden Hill, who cares who's in net? And all it's gonna take is like one goalie to carry his team to the cup, and everyone's gonna be like. You need that number one goalie, man. Otherwise, you're not going to win. So a few years ago, I got really stuck on the concept of goaltending. I think it was before Quick emerged, and I was trying to figure out why the Kings were terrible for so long. Um, And I went back, and I can't remember how far I went back, but I looked at it, and you could see clusters of eras of competitiveness between three or four teams. There would be like an eight-year window where it was two or three teams winning it. 
Then there'd be two or three years where it was just a free for all. Then there'd be another eight year window where it was two or three teams every year. And then there'd be another little random window and the Carolina ducks. And I guess the red wings in 2008, although they made it back to the final in 2009. So maybe they mm-hmm. don't count, but like the ducks and the hurricanes were that went were that sort of anybody's up for grabs. And it made sense. The walkout happened. The rules changed all that. But then you had Pittsburgh, Chicago, LA, uh, I'm leaving somebody out. Boston. Boston for whatever, 10 years, eight years. And then there was Tampa sort of moved in after Pittsburgh, I guess, right? 1819 was Tampa. St. Louis was in there one time. So yeah, St. Louis yeah, was 18, Washington. 18, right. 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 Sorry, Washington was 18. St. Louis was 19. And then Tampa was 2021. 20, yeah, yes. back to back. Right. Yeah. So Double then you had it, you had another two little year gap where it was like, okay, St. Louis came out of nowhere. Washington poked through and finally had their one, but then Tampa back to back. And then, uh, Colorado, right. Who has been good and probably will be good. And right. then Vegas who has been good. Right. So I guess we'll see moving forward. If this sort of parody thing where any team can win on any given season will ever actually really happen, but I don't, think it will and and caro to your point yeah somebody will come along whether it's ottinger or hellebuck or something and that team will be good every year and we'll go back trying to, i mean teams are still trying to find those goalies right just sure. because just because vegas has aiden hill doesn't mean that tampa doesn't want I mean, Vasilevsky. yeah right? aiden, don't aiden want hill Shisterkin. was not there was not even their plan c aiden yeah. hill was a you know <laughs> no, it was a miracle yeah absolutely yeah all right so Given, I'm going to ignore everything you said, Jesse, about how we don't don't know anything about how the Kings might perform or Uh how's Brand Clark. If you had to throw out a safe, or not even safe, a cautiously optimistic, as we we joked about in previous episodes, prediction for the Kings. You could go seeding. We can even talk about playoffs, but... Are you comfortable saying they're a playoff team? Let's start from the bottom. Yeah, you- I think they're going to be really good. I'm not cautiously optimistic. I'm optimistic, optimistic. Nice. So Which do is- you foresee them challenging for the division? Do you foresee them winning the division? Uh, yeah, I could. Sure. I agree. I think the division is very much in play for the Kings. Uh, and you, know, you could, you know, do the mental gymnastics and say, oh, Vegas probably – you know, Mark Stone's probably not going to be available to start the season, so they might not start out so hot and yada, yada, yada. Edmonton only cares about the playoffs now. All they talk about is the playoffs and, and winning, so maybe seeding isn't as important. So I could totally convince myself that the, that the Kings can just start hot, stay hot, and, you know, I'm sure dips will happen, but I think they can win a division, certainly. I think health is going to play a huge role, which is not a controversial statement, mm. but I am – persuaded by the argument that they had a great season last season while having the 30th uh, ranked goaltending numbers in the league (laughs) for the first half of the season. And it was like November or December. And we were still having those conversations of like, well, are they going to figure out who they are? Who are they? What is this team? Blah, 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 blah. Um, I said at the time when Todd McClellan was hired that I thought he was brought in more than anything to take the team back from the players. And I think he's done that. So I'm, I'm pretty confident. You heard it here, guys. Stanley cup <laughs> signed by Jesse Cohen. 
Marty, what do you think? Uh, I, I, I mean, it's kind of getting into our preseason predictions a little bit, but I, I, I think they're a solid playoff team. Whether or not they win the division requires a lot of things to break. I think a, a lot of particular ways. Uh, the goaltending look. You'd be lying if if you weren't a little bit questioning what's gonna how that's gonna go, um, and and hoping that you get some consistency between the three guys that you have there, at least to be better than than what we had for the first couple months of last season. Um, but even then, it, it, you know they have this bad habit of dropping games against teams that they really shouldn't be losing games that they're winning and they end up losing and a point here, a point there. And that ends up being the difference between first in the division or third in the division. So if they can, they can clean that up and the goaltending can at least be consistent. I think, yeah, I mean, division titles certainly within the realm of possibility. Cool. Yeah. Old. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Okay. So, um, we're, we're about to get into our list topic, but I did want to ask you guys both, and I'll give my answer too. Since since we're gonna kind of go negative and talk about horrible trades, uh, what's one trade in King's history that comes to mind that you might call your favorite? Because I know saying, "Hey, what's your favorite King's trade ever?" is a little on the spot. And there's several. Just Dean Lombardi alone, I think, can you can give five examples that could be your favorite trade. But what's you could throw out one trade that you really loved. What would it be? All right, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so March 14th, 1996, traded from the New York Rangers uh, with Ray Ferraro, Nathan Lafayette, and Ian LaPerriere was Matthias Nordstrom. And going to the Rangers, uh, sorry, and a fourth-round pick. I'll have to look up to see what they used that fourth-round pick on. For Shane Sherla, who was not a serious player, Yari Curry and Marty McSorley. And at that point in Marty McSorley's career, he was not a serious player and Yari Curry had a couple of years left maybe, but he wasn't didn't yeah. need to be on the Kings. Nordstrom was incredible. The Perrier was incredible. Ray Ferraro while he was here was a, a good player who helped the team when they didn't have a lot of reasons to cheer. And Nathan Lafayette was a handsome fellow. Um, <laughs> I'll have to look up what was the he pick was. I don't I know, not particularly, <laughs> but I don't want to don't make, don't make me say that about Nathan Lafayette. Um, <laughs> Actually, yeah, it was an all right looking guy. Yeah. Um, as far as thanks, for, thanks for checking. But Nordstrom <laughs> and LaPerriere for a couple years of Curry and Shane Sherla was a plug. Like, I, you know, that, that, when they got him, that didn't work out. And yeah. Marty McSorley was cooked at that point. Um, so that was a great trade, I think. That is a good trade. I do agree. I'm, I'm obviously partial to the Mike Richards trade because sure. I, I mean, it was, Again, I've I've said this a lot of times. It wasn't just you're getting a good player. It was what Mike Richards stood for. It it was he was a winner through and through, one at every level, and pretty much embodied the kind of player that Dean Lombardi coveted. And it ended up resulting in exactly what you hoped it would result in. Um, even though it was one of those situations, and a lot of people have tried to draw parallels and and make the PLD for Velarde trade, make it sound like it's the new, the new version of the Mike Richards trade because of what the Kings gave up. And obviously they gave up a fair bit in Wayne Simmons and in, um, oh my God, I'm blanking right now. Braden Shen. Braden Shen, there it is. Thank you. Um, and both those guys ended up being solid NHL players for multiple teams, but 
for what the Kings ended up getting out of that trade, you make that trade a hundred times out of a hundred, I think. And then on a more personal note, uh, having Marion Gabbert come to the Kings as my, as my favorite player, being traded to my favorite team and then win a cup with my favorite team was just, I, I honestly, I don't know how many people get to experience that, but that was, that was special for me. It's funny note on the Richards trade when I was doing some research and just reading what people wrote, what their least favorite or favorite Kings trades were. I actually saw the Richards trade on both sides, which was crazy. Some people had listed it as one as a bad trade and others had listed it as one of the best trade, which is, which is wild to me. Uh, ditto for the Blake for dead Marsh Miller trade. I, I was very surprised to see that on both ends of the spectrum. Um, for me, I'll, I'm, I'll yell at either of you if you pick that trade as one of your top five. Nope. nope. No, no, no. You, we're safe. I, although right. you might yell at me for something else. Um, I'm prepared. My, <laughs> the trade I'm going to say, and, and the obvious one is the Gretzky trade, but I'm not going to say that one, Jesse, because I don't want to get yelled at. But I'm going to go with going to the Islanders, Matthew Biron, Josh Green, Oli Jokinen, and then uh, the 1999 first-round pick for Marcel Cousineau, Ziggy Palfi, Brian Smolenski, and the 99 fourth. Excellent. To me, like, of course, and, and the crazy part is that Jokinen wasn't even originally in that trade. I, I believe Gary Bettman blocked the first trade, which which was uh, Scott correct. Barney. Scott Barney was going the other way. Can you so. imagine how good that trade would have been? Man, I mean, it's still had, in, yeah. it's still pretty damn good. <laughs> but so when Arvidsson and Dino, I think they both scored twenty goals in their first season with the Kings. Dooley and I started looking, trying to figure out when the Kings had ever acquired two players in an offseason that then scored 20 goals in their first season. And Smolinski and Palfi was, I think, yeah, the last time it had happened. It was a yep. great trade. Great trade. It was. And, and there's a that's that era of, of Kings hockey is like the Palfi era to me. At the time, he was my favorite player. He was clearly the best player on the Kings. He was like the one guy in those years that was worth the price of admission with all due respect to Luke Robitaille, who was still great, but he was kind of winding it down a little bit. Um, so Ziggy, for me, was... Such Super a great scored trade. like 39 goals. One of those, he did. The that's what I meant. So I don't know if he was, he wasn't doing 63 hard. anymore, Jesse. That's what uh, I'm trying I don't to say. think anybody <laughs> was doing 63 that, that season. Um, speaking of which, sorry, I just bought a Ziggy Palfi, Dead Marsh, and Felix Potvan poster online today. That is a Perfect. great purchase. Perfect. <laughs> that's Sounds like right. the 2001, yeah, that's like 2001 playoffs mm-hmm. right there. So, did that's you a, buy an appropriate frame for it? Not yet, but I will. I mean, obviously, yeah. That one, for me, there's a lot of great ones. I mean, we could spend all day talking about great trades like Marcel Dion. That was a robbery. Uh, but let's get into the fun stuff. What do you say, guys? Let's do it. We're going to snake this. Uh, for anyone who plays fantasy hockey understands the concept of a snake draft. So that's how we're going to do it. We're going to start with our honorable mention, which is a trade that is almost universally loved by everyone that we think maybe wasn't the best trade at the time. We'll call it number six and we'll start with Jesse. What do you got for us, big man? I hate the trade for Dustin Penner. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And well, I don't even remember the return. I'm sure you're going to with it people down, about but... this for a, a lot. Um, traded from Edmonton to LA for Colton Tubert, a first round pick in the draft and a third round pick in the 2012 draft. I don't care about Colton Tubert. Um, for me, it's the first round pick and Dustin Penner scored exactly two goals that mattered for the LA Kings. 
<laughs> they were they were big goals. I grant you that. Um, and I would never like roll back time and undo the trade because that would change everything that happened after it. And that means no cup in 2012, right. which likely means no cup in 2014. So right, I get we've all learned also, about multiverses quite a right, bit. In exactly. the last <laughs> if you've watched community, you know about the darkest timeline. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm not proposing that it shouldn't have happened or that it didn't all work out, but Dustin Penner was not, did not perform, uh, so well as to justify the price that it took to get him. Okay. Interesting. All right. It's rare to to kind of hear about a trade that is directly connected to the yeah, Stanley the Cup. Result of the yeah, yeah. I, but it's but, but, but here's the thing. So they answer. traded they traded for Dustin Penner. He didn't perform, so then they had to trade for Mike Richards right. and acquire Simone Gagne and they tried to bring in Ethan Morrow and Trent Hunter and like to me, the 2012 Stanley Cup run, as brilliant as it was and as unbelievable as it was and as incredible as that team was, the analogy that I've always given is if you and and let's say your, your best friend leave from point A and you're both going to meet at the movie theater in half an hour and your friend just takes the direct route, right? Straight the way, exactly the way you're meant to. And he gets there in half an hour and you take a wrong turn. And as it turns out, there was construction on the main route that you didn't know about and that's why it took your best friend half an hour to get there and because you took a wrong turn you wound up going down a back road that you didn't know about and you got diverted onto paths that you maybe never would have found before and it winds up taking you 20 minutes so you beat him there you still made mistakes <laughs> you still took the wrong turn you just sure. didn't know that it was going to turn sure. out in your favor so uh, that's how great. I feel like the Dustin Penner trade was a wrong turn. It worked out. It was great, I, whatever, but it was not a good trade. Right. Right. We found a taco stand on the way and it was a great taco <laughs> yeah, stand. Just, there Precisely. Listen, spot. There's a tiny little restaurant in Yermo, California called uh, the Burger Den. That is the original Del Taco. Um, it's where the Del Taco franchise started. You would have no reason to pull off the freeway in Yermo um, because there's Barstow and then there's whatever the next town after Yermo is. And even now, if you did pull off in Yermo, there's this massive gas station slash mini mart that has like a whole wall dedicated to the L.A. Lakers inside it. It's wild. But <laughs> but if you ever did wind up driving into Yermo, you'd find the burger done. Um, but you shouldn't have been looking for it. But there it is. <laughs> Okay. I don't know if that made any sense at all. That, you know, oddly enough, I just enough, remember Dustin sense. Penner. <laughs> all right, there we go. <laughs> I just remember Dustin Penner was your answer. Vardy, what do you got? So I actually screwed up this assignment. All right. Uh, because, uh, yeah, yeah, no, what we I- We are what a I, professional I, program. We, so I went backwards on this, unfortunately. I, I ended up picking a trade that most people would say was a bad trade, but I actually don't think was that bad. Okay, let's hear it. Okay. That's so, what I thought we were doing. Yeah, see? Okay, so there you go. So, all right, good. Well done. I can't pivot as well, unfortunately. Right. Um, so, I was actually going to nominate the Andre Sequeira trade. Okay. Because, okay, so to, to recap the trade, February 25th, 2015, Andre Sequeira from uh, Carolina for Roland McCown and a first-round pick. Um, it ended up being a 2016 first-round pick, which ended up being 21st overall, mostly because the Kings actually missed the playoffs in 2015. And that was the condition on the first round pick was that if they missed the playoffs, it would roll over to 2016. Um, and from what I remember, Shakira was the big target of that trade deadline. I mean, he was the big defensive target that every team wanted that like, Oh, he's, you know, he's a solid guy. He's going to help stabilize things helpful for a playoff run. And the Kings, again, this was the year after they had won the second cup 
floundering pretty much right out the gate with the Voinov situation. They've been so-so the entire year, had been missing a second-pairing defenseman. And so, for all intents and purposes, this sounded like a really solid move, not to mention the fact that just before they made the trade, they had rattled off eight straight wins and looking like they were turning a corner. You know, the iron's still hot. We got this. We got to make that trade. So, they ended up missing the playoffs by a whopping two points. Okay? So... And then that first round pick ends up being 21st overall and ends up being no one in particular for Carolina. Roland McCown ends up doing nothing in particular. And obviously, Sakara leaves in the offseason, goes to Edmonton. It all ended up kind of being a wash, is my point. And so, given the circumstances, given where they were coming from, given the eight straight wins and how they were kind of turning the corner, regardless of the fact that it didn't work out the way that they wanted it to, I think it was a good trade to make in an attempt to keep the team relevant and to miss the playoffs by two points is such a, I mean, that that's like the perfect cherry on top for that 2015 season that Gar and I have talked about numerous times about recapping yes. just what a disaster it was. The off season alone is worth a documentary. Oh man. That season. I mean, that calendar, you know, June 2014 yeah. to June 2015 is a, is a, is a horror show, but, and that was part of it. So, but I think, the heart of why you make that trade and how it ended up panning out the pieces of it. I, I think you still make that trade if you're the Kings, honestly. I don't disagree. Um, I, since, I throw my full support behind that pitch. Thank yeah. you. All right. Uh, since, since apparently there was miscommunication, Jesse, do you want to give your original, what you thought the question was going to be? Uh, sure. It's the uh, Kemper trade. Getting him or, or, or giving him up to Phoenix. Tra- trading him to Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have seen Lisa Dillman and Rich Hammond write articles in The Athletic about including that in their worst trades, and I mm. couldn't disagree more. Darcy Kemper was never going to resign here. Jonathan yeah. Quick was still the starting goalie. Yep. Rob Blake told me to my face that trading Darcy Kemper to Arizona was not necessarily a favor to him, but a, allowed him to have an opportunity to get playing time with a team that he mm. might sign with moving on in the future. And we got two players back that weren't great. And nobody in their right mind thought Darcy Kemper was going to go on to be Darcy. It's not like we traded, knowingly traded, um, you know, a Vezina candidate for garbage. Like this right. is not how, That's the, not how we, it happened. And I, and I am in favor of teams doing, making transactions to benefit. I'm in favor of management helping labor. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We're, do right by your guys. Cause it's a small player. league, man. They, you know, the word gets around. There's also a lot of obvious recency bias to that claim, obviously, that it was a bad trade because he went on to win a Stanley Cup right. uh, with Colorado. Not so, with the team that he got traded to. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So so I guess I, I went with um, a trade that's universally or mostly universally liked that I hated. And I my choice is trading Bernie Nichols to the Rangers for Granado, for Tony Granado and Thomas Sandstrom. Now... Many of people who follow this team speak of that trade very highly, gush yeah, bold, about bold it. Bold position to say you hate it. <laughs> so I know it turned out to be the right trade, so to speak. Um, I think at the time there was a lot of questions about Bernie's off-ice conditioning, uh, his kind of dedication to the game, things like that. There was a lot of talk about that. Uh, but the big thing was that Wayne Gretzky needed wingers. Uh, when that trade went down, it's they would try to solidify the wings, and in doing so, they traded Bernie Nichols, their second line center, 
was just coming off that monstrous season that he probably knew that he couldn't replicate. The trade went down on January 20th, 1990, during All-Star Weekend. So Bernie Nichols was representing the Campbell Conference in the All-Star Game, and he found out during the All-Star Game, and if any of this is wrong, either of you guys can correct me, that he was traded to New York. And he did not take it very well. I believe he was extremely (laughs) pissed off. Number one, that he got traded. Number two, the way it happened. And we talk about the results. Obviously, the Kings go on in 1993 to the cup final. Thomas Sandstrom specifically had a big role in that, Tony Granato as well. But I believe, and when we get into the meat of our discussion and the truly bad trades that are to come, this is a domino effect of one of them for me, is that the Kings from that point on struggled with their center depth specifically in this in the second line spot and history well more modern history has shown as you kind of build up the middle of the ice and i think losing nickels they filled up holes by by acquiring sandstrom and granado but they opened up a hole that i don't think they fixed for a very long time post nickels how many second line centers can we name true second line centers that the kings had in the gretzky era I mean, they converted Curry to a center at one point. Because Gretzky was out, <laughs> not even to, to kind of yeah. fill that two spot. Gretzky was injured. I believe Todd Ellick tried it out. I think Bob Kodelsky tried it out. I may be missing Love a Bob couple. <laughs> good player, good player. But I think in in plugging holes, they, they create another one. And I think, obviously, you, can, you can't speculate. But I do think had Nichols continued with the Kings, his numbers would have been better in L.A. I do believe these players are human beings at the end of the day. And I think he really liked where he, uh, where he was. And then what was it? A year later, they get Yari Curry, the perfect winger for Wayne Gretzky. So that's the one that always kind of bothers me. I'm a big Bernie fan. I was when I was a kid, he was my, one of my guys. So that's the one I'm going with. And I may be the first person guys to ever call that a bad trade or a trade. I didn't like. Okay. Fair Crickets, enough. I love it. Okay, <laughs> I admire the, the 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 brazen ability to skewer one of the more popular trades in franchise history. All right, let's let's snake it back. Let's do um, it. It's me again. Great. Yeah, it is. Um, my so now we're going getting into the top five. Number five for me, worst trades in Kings history: Butch Goring to the New York Islanders. I'm going a little way back here. Um, this is one of the trades that I think triggered the entire trade deadline acquisition. It still gets talked about. Yeah, it's it's like the trade that kind of set the bar for what you're trying to do at the trade deadline, right? Yeah. Uh, anytime you see a a team trying to add that one missing piece, I think people still say they're trying to get the goring or tr- they're trying to get the butch goring on their team. Um, at the time of the trade, um, I'm pretty sure... Butch Goring had just signed a six-year deal, and he was in year two of the contract, so he didn't want to go anywhere. He had mentioned how he wanted to retire as a king. The Kings made the deal. It's currently ESPN ranked it as the fifth the most lopsided deadline trade in <laughs> NHL history. That's, so there's four. Oh, four deadline, trade deadline. Yeah. Deadline, Maybe. yes, Maybe. specifically. Yeah. Uh, Kings trade Butch Goring to the Islanders for Billy Harris and Dave Lewis on March 10th, 1980. Dave Lewis... Decent player. I think he captained the team a couple of years later. But yeah, that's that's my number five. Going to Vardy. All right. Um, so my my 
my trades are a bit more recent. I apologize. Um, but I do have one, and this is not in any particular order, by the way. I don't think like five is the least worst. These are just five. Um, but this is like my old school trade, which I think still comes up. Um, 1978, trading a first round pick to Boston for Ron Graham. And the first round pick <laughs> ends up going eighth overall for one Raymond Bork. Well, for the pick, yes. Well, for the pick, yes. Yeah, yeah. Did you happen yes. to read Cohen's Catastrophes before this podcast? No, or... was this one of <laughs> okay, them? just checking. Oh, yeah. oh, it was one of them. <laughs> okay. It was one of the better researched, one of them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you basically, how often does that happen that the pick becomes a Hall of Famer, right? Well, it happens, <laughs> and that would have, that would have, I mean, that, you can't imagine how something like that would change the fortunes of, of this team. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there needs much more explanation than that. All right, so I'll just go ahead, and I was going to include that one also, so I'll just include oh, okay, it cool, here perfect. in no particular yeah. order, just yeah, so yeah, that yeah, I can piggyback off that. And you've, you've clearly done articles on it, oh, too, yeah, so no, you I, dig deep, baby. I did. So... <clears throat> It, I used to write these articles about the worst uh, moves in franchise history. And what I would try to do is is give you background on what happened, then explain why it looked like a good move at the time, and then say why it was not a good move at the time. Uh, so I'm just going to jump ahead in my article to why it was a terrible move. Uh, Ron Graham wasn't an NHL caliber goalie, and plenty of people knew it. Ted Lindsay, general manager of the Detroit Red Wings, and upset with Kings general manager George McGuire over the compensation dispute following the acquisition of Rogie Vachon, felt that Graham was unworthy of what the Kings gave up to acquire him. This is from the Windsor Star, October 24th, 1978. Lindsay wasn't finished in his remarks about the Kings. Los Angeles never once asked for anybody in compensation. He said, then they make a mockery out of the NHL by giving a number one draft choice to Boston for a minor league goaltender. The goalie to whom Lindsay referred is Ron Graham, who played for the Boston Bruins last year and was acquired by the Kings on October 9th. McGuire, never a timid quote, responded in kind. This is from the LA Times article, October 23rd, 1978. Ron Graham's record speaks for itself, McGuire said. Every year since his appointment as general manager of the year by the Hockey News, Mr. Lindsay has been sounding off. He should try to read and digest a few NHL rules and regulations and then live by them and start acting like a general manager. Um, the article goes the on 70s to point were a out, wild time. Yo, the league was <laughs> nuts. Um, the article then goes on to point out that, uh, yeah, the pick they traded was used to draft Ray Bork. There's a little infographic that shows Bork's career highlights. Um, and then Graham's career highlights. And then uh, at the end of each one, I tried to uh, compare it. to. I would try to put it in today's terms. This is 10 years ago. Mm. So. Uh, how it would look today, the Kings needed a goalie, so they traded their first-round draft pick in the following year for a goalie in his late 20s that had just won over 25 games in his first NHL season but would wind up out of the league in the next few seasons. If it happened in the summer of 2007, the Kings would have traded their first-round pick in the 2000 NHL entry draft to Drowdy for Jonas Holmquist, then there's a picture of Jonas Holmquist, and the caption is, even Yona Holmquist's mom has never heard of Yona. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, just a sidebar, I don't know if you have these up anywhere, Jesse, but you got to make these available for people to see at this I point. I mean, they're, they're at okay, so or the royalhalf.com, Cohen's King's perfect. Catastrophe. Go <laughs> after this and read them. They're so well done, and, and my particular favorite section is what you just reference what it would look like, like today yeah i think it's, yeah. it's it's a terrific idea and, and yeah i was pretty proud of them yeah <laughs> uh you should be all right jesse uh then because i just had him on uh all the king's men with jim fox i'm gonna do the trade of um larry murphy and uh i won't 
I'll try not to <laughs> take too long. Um, but the Kings on October 18th, 1983, again, I'm reading from my own article, traded Larry Murphy to the Capitals for Brian Emblom and Ken Houston. Uh, why it looked like a good and eh, Blom was fine. Um, Ken Houston, uh, Englom's offensive note in reading from the article, Englom's offensive numbers were no match for Murphy's, but the Kings were hoping he could replace some of the defensive play of recently traded Dave Lewis. Ken Houston was a perennial 20 goal scorer during his eight year career with the Atlanta slash Calgary flames and the Washington capitals and was an offensive force in the 1981 playoffs, despite missing half a season due to health issues. And then I write health issues, eh? Well, I'm sure it's nothing chronic and debilitating. <laughs> oh, man. I read from the Calgary Herald, December 8th, 1984. I don't follow any team in particular, Ken Houston was saying, but I do keep a closer eye on Washington. I'm kind of interested in what they're doing. We had something started there, and I'd like to see if they can keep it going. Bup, 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 bup. I was trying to skim it because the caption is hepatitis. Seriously, you guys, hepatitis. Because he never played <laughs> after that uh, because of complications due to hepatitis. It's just one of those trades where it's like you think nothing more. When you're going back and researching all the terrible moves that this franchise made in its earlier years, you think like, well, nothing can top trading the pick that turned into Ray Bork for a <laughs> minor league goalie that even the GM of the Bruins was mad at them for doing, but then they trade Larry Murphy, future hall of famer. Uh, there's a picture of Larry Murphy, uh, Paul Coffey, Ray Bork and Cliff Fletcher all being inducted into the hall of fame together. And as I pointed <laughs> out, two of them, two of them were Kings. One of them should have been. And the other one is Cliff Fletcher. Um, if I can find the, uh, if it happened today portion. Oh Yeah. If it happened today, the Los Angeles Kings traded a gifted offensive defenseman who was the top five pick in his draft after three seasons because he expect, expected a significant pay raise. They traded him for a winger that would only play 33 games for them before retiring and a defenseman who would give them two and a half decent seasons before being packaged in a trade for more mediocrity. If it happened in 2011, the Kings would have traded Drew Doughty for Trevor Daly and Eric Nystrom. Oh, God. That's yeah. not a good trade. Just no. for everyone. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, it's terrible. All right, so that's my, That's another pick of mine. All right, Vardy. Let's go. Man, I'm going to have a tough time if I'm going to keep having to follow Jesse <laughs> on these. Um, okay. I, 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 Again, like I said, I kept mine a lot more recent. And to your point, a lot of these trades, a lot of these bad trades tended mm-hmm. to be earlier in the in the franchise's history. Mm-hmm. I, I found that they've gotten a lot better, in particular the Dean Lombardi era, seem to clean the slate quite a bit all right however uh going back ever so slightly uh 1998 kings trade jan vopat and kimo timonen to the upstart brand new nashville predators <laughs> nice pull. Nice thank pull. you thank you i try uh in exchange for the nashville predators not selecting one gary galley in yep. the expansion draft yep uh jan vopat okay but Kimo Timonen goes on to become a top pairing D-man in the NHL, not only for Nashville, but then even I think was second pairing for Philly for quite a bit of time. So, but hey, we got Gary Galley. So good. That's an job, excellent. That team. that was going to be another catastrophe article. I just never got around to it. But that's an excellent pick. Thank you. Good pull, bud. Uh, Mine was uh, my number. What are we on? Whatever. Uh, my number. Can I can I hop in real quick? I want to just do an exercise real quick. If we were writing one of those articles for that trade, and we were doing Mm. how would it look today? Ooh. 
it would have to be a trade of to Seattle or Vegas to prevent them from right. It would have to be like trading. Uh, I don't know who was even in the system in 2017, but it would have been like trading a younger defenseman, like trading Mikey Anderson, the pick that was Mikey Anderson to Vegas, not to take Derek Forbert or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah. But I mean, Mikey, not the trade, Mikey but Anderson the will be fortunate if he has the career that Kimo Timonen did. And that's no disrespect to Mikey. Anderson. Yeah. That's how good Kim. Uh, this is getting depressing. Okay. My answer, <laughs> my answer was for number four was also Larry Murphy to Washington. The main, I like looking at his, the, his seasons in LA, 80, 81, 76 points, 81, 82, 66 points, 82, 83, 62 points. And as Jesse's article kind of mentions, like the Kings kind of got cold feet about his production dipping and he was also clashing with management a bit, but it's just, it hurts. It hurts to trade a Hall of Fame defenseman, multiple Stanley Cup winner, after seasons like that. And I don't know what the league average for defenseman scoring was in the early 80s, but I assume this is pretty good for, for a defenseman. He's at the record for... Rookies, yes. Yeah. And can I throw in one more detail that I should have when I mentioned Please. it? Please. And he confirmed this himself uh, when he came on All the Kings Men recently. He filed for arbitration. Uh, he asked for a number. The Kings came back with a lower number, and the league appointed arbiter s- came back with their ruling with a number lower than what the Kings had initially offered, <laughs> which is borderline. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure no one amongst the Kings brass was friends with that arbiter. Sure. Um, so he was like, "Happenstance." Yeah, I'm not doing this. Trade me. So they traded him. So I mean, it was just a ter- terrible situation. Maybe the how it looked today would be a lockout or something like that. Yeah, I mean it would be a lawsuit. Like it just For sure. Yeah. yeah, there's no no way. All right, so uh, number three then for me. I thought this would be higher, but after really thinking about it, it's going to settle in as number three. The Kings in 1996 traded the greatest player of all time for the St. Louis Blues for Roman Vopat. Patrice Tardif, Craig Johnson, a 1996 fifth rounder, Peter Hogan, and a 1997 first rounder, Matt Zoltek. <laughs> I don't know if I want to break this down. Um, I was 12 years old at the time, 12 or 13, and it was devastating. Uh, I think. I think the the reason I would say that it is third and not higher is because I think Wayne more or less asked for the trade. Uh, I don't know how directly he asked for it, but I think everyone agreed it was time to move on. So the Kings kind of had to make a trade at that point. Still blows my mind that they couldn't do better than this. There was a ton of competing teams at the time. I think a lot of teams were interested, but this was the best the Kings could do. And I I found the LA times article and just a couple of quotes. Gretzky said, I didn't think when I left Edmonton I would go through another day like this, but it's time to move on, and that's the bottom line. I could tell we just weren't on the same wavelength. If I had to do it all over again, of course, I would play in L.A. again. Larry Robinson was quoted as saying, we looked extensively at their players, and the three players we took are the three best young players in their organization, and we felt the two draft choices or even an even bigger plus. I'm convinced GMs had no idea what they were doing in the 90s 
Like they had no, just looking at these drafts, there's, they're so random. Like there's so many misses. Like, I don't know what was going on, man, but I felt like they were all just in awe of how Detroit was kind of building their teams and stuff. And they had no idea how to do anything. There, there are, there, the history of the league is just chock full of horror stories. Like we had Jason Podolon. I don't know if you guys remember former King Jason Podolon, but when he was acquired, in the waiver draft, I think. And he told us the story. He like got the call one morning, got on a plane. I think he was in Nova Scotia or New Brunswick or somewhere out in the hinterlands of Canada. It takes a long time to get from there to LA. And when he finally got to the ice dogs where he was assigned, like, I don't think they had a Jersey for him. Nobody knew who he was. It was just like, all right, hit the ice, go out there. You're, you're playing <laughs> insanity. Yeah. It's weird times, man. It's weird. Yeah. I'm 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 a big draft nut. I love looking back at some of those like mid '90s drafts, and I'm just like, this makes no sense. Like how many misses there are in in these drafts, whether it's a issue with development or scouting or what it is. It's it's almost completely random which guy ends up being good and who ends up being bad from these drafts. Can I pour some salt in the in the Gretzky trade wound? Why not? It hasn't healed. It never will. Uh, the reason I laughed when you said Matt Zoltek is because with the 15th overall pick in the 1997 NHL entry draft, the Kings passed up players like Scott Hannon and Brendan Morrow and selected Matt Zoltek of the Ottawa 67s. They would fail to sign him to a contract and he would wind up re-entering the draft and being taken by the Boston Bruins in the second round of the 1999 NHL entry draft. He never sweet, played a game in Lord. the NHL. Yep. yep. <laughs> so... Just feels classic. Just feels like classic. <laughs> One day we'll stuff. do an episode on just draft picks passed up, but that's just, I don't know how fair that is. Like, it, like we could do one on Zetterberg and Dotsup, just talk about every team. I mean, that could be, yeah, that's a lot of yeah. teams. There's there's but, some more direct ones that come up. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Vardy. Um, okay, so this one for me, maybe, maybe not terrible, but I just, in hindsight, I feel like such a stupid trade. Um, March 11, 2003, Kings trade Matthew Schneider to Detroit for Sean Avery, Maxim Kuznetsov, a mm. first-round pick, and a second-round pick. The first-round pick ends up being Jeff Tambellini, one of three heralded first-round picks during, during that draft, <laughs> along with uh, Dustin Brown and Brian Boyle shortly afterwards. Um, Tambellini does a whole lot of nothing. Uh, Schneider went on to have several more good seasons in Detroit. Avery was an absolute mess for this team and probably ruined the locker room and whatever was going on at that time for multiple, multiple players, not the least of which being Dustin Brown, who took several seasons to recover from the now admitted mental abuse that he suffered at the hands of Avery. And then Carsons did nothing. So again, I'm, I'm sure there was good reasons for doing the trade at the time. I'm sure everyone thought that this was the best they could get and they're getting a first rounder and a second rounder. And, but it just ends up negatively affecting the team, you know, not, not just, we didn't really get anything good out of it. I mean, very few trades can you think of where you're just like, man, not only was this a bad trade, but it actually probably ruined this team or set it back by several years because of this player that we brought on board. I think he was the target, by the way. I think Avery was the real. He was, he, he was, was like because they wanted the, the, the wanted. trustulence yeah, yeah. and, you know, he's got another layer to him and, and whatnot. And it was the layer was exactly what you thought it was. He also ruined many other locker rooms after that. Uh, way, he so. did. Sean Avery should have been a great player for LA. 
Like he was talented. Yeah. He was um charismatic. Uh, I'm he, trying to find a word that can cut good and bad, right? Yeah. Like magnetic. Yeah. And before the train went completely off the rails, he would get under the other team's skin, but not, you know, he wasn't like injuring people. I don't think, I don't remember. Um, I was very high on that trade in the moment, but now looking back on it, I think you're right. I think generally speaking, it was a pretty lousy trade. Schneider was great. Schneider was great. And he would have kept being, again, I have to look back and see what his contract situation was. I don't know if he was a UFA and he re-signed with Detroit in all fairness, but I, I just feel like he was he was such a solid player for this team. I feel like you you keep guys like that. You find a way to keep guys like that. Yeah. And funny enough, Avery's career high was with the Kings in points mm-hmm. in um, 0506. But I I do remember him having a big impact with the Rangers. Maybe it was in the playoffs in one of the seasons. But you always saw with him like if you just stopped the bullshit and just played the game you could be an effective player. Very difficult to play against. High energy guy, good on the forecheck, and enough skill to like finish around the net too. So it's almost like a, I don't want to say wasted career because he parlayed it into some other stuff, I think. But another good pull, Vardy, because I think Jesse and I are probably going to lean more into the history. So it's Do you want to hear the wildest piece of Sean Avery trivia? Do I? He's in Oppenheimer. What? I still haven't seen Oppenheimer. I haven't either, but he's in it. All right. Now I got to keep an eye out for him. He's, you know what he is? He's the quintessential horrible dude that, but I can fix him. He's, you know, like, (laughs) but I can fix him. Every team is the girl. He's so nice with dogs, you know, (laughs) like something. He's got like this one sparkling quality that like you just, you hone in on that. But he, you know, he was so nice with my grandmother. Something, some <laughs> stupid quality like that that you hone in on makes you forget the other 90% of him that just really ruins everything around him. And with he that... Was, he was an interesting character. Yes. Just does that make it my turn? Yep. It does. All right. I've got to choose between three. Uh, what era do you want me to pull from? I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you what my eras are if it makes you any difference. Sure to have variety. I got nineties for the next two. Okay. Gretzky, Gretzky era stuff. All right. I'll stick to the nineties era then. Uh, I've got the trade of Marty McSorley. Okay. Is this so, the, the first trade of Marty okay. McSorley? Gotcha. <laughs> uh, in August of 1993, the St. Louis blues signed Kings defenseman, Marty McSorley to a five year, $10 million offer sheet. The Kings matched the offer and retained McSorley. After matching the offer sheet, they traded McSorley to Pittsburgh for forward Sean McEachern. 56 games into the 93-94 season, the Kings traded Sean McEachern back to Pittsburgh along with Thomas Sandstrom in order to reacquire McSorley and defenseman Jim Pack. <laughs> so it's sort of two trades in one. Um, but this is what I was talking about earlier, right? Where you're like, you're looking back and you're going, this cracked party. You're going like this, this, you're just like, this franchise can't have this many bonkers stories. It's just, it's just nonsensical stuff. Comics. Like, I swear to God. It's just insane. Like... So I am going to be pulling straight from my article again. Apologies. Um, Great. Why it was a terrible move. The first trade, oh, the obvious God. reasons. See why it looked like a good move. The second trade, the less obvious reasons. McSorley wasn't the only member of the LA Kings to receive a new contract in the summer of 1993. Wayne Gretzky signed a three-year deal allegedly worth 25.5 million shortly after the trade of McSorley. 
The new contract supposedly made him the highest paid player in the NHL. In December of 1993, Kings owner Bruce McNall defaulted on a $90 million loan from Bank of America. McSorley's new contract would pay him close to $2 million in the 93-94 NHL season. McEachern's contract would pay him $258,000. It's not terribly difficult in hindsight to see why McNall would feel compelled to trade a player as talented and well-liked as McSorley. McSorley had been voted most popular player by fans three of the previous four seasons. Um, I don't know if I have it in this article, but I am reasonably certain that um, the Kings missed payroll at some point during that. I mean, era. would that shock anyone? No. <laughs> nope. How many how many <laughs> trades did they make for cash yes. in the 90s? Right. I mean, um, it's just wild. So I go on to write about the trade of Thomas Sandstrom, uh, who wound up playing for the Ducks, which hurt everybody's feelings. Uh, what the Kings should have done, retain Sandstrom and McEachern and begin a soft rebuild in the summer of 1994. How it will look today, the Kings traded a popular two-time cup-winning defenseman to the Pittsburgh Penguins, thinking they could rely on their trio of young blue liners and Charlie Huddy. When they realized their mistake, they had to trade a veteran forward just to get him back. If it happened in the summer of 2013, the Kings would have allowed Rob Scuderi to wind up in Pittsburgh, thinking they could rely on their stable of you of young blue liners and Robin Regeer. When they realized their mistake, they would have traded Justin Williams to the Pens just to get him back. This was, <laughs> I think, this was written before the second Cup win. So, uh, and I guess Scuderi sort of uh, fell off after that. Um, but yeah, not a not a great trade. Just a mess all the way around. Yeah, that's and, just and the, there's, the there's there's a lot of those, man. There's a lot yeah. of those just delving through mid '90s Kings stuff. You're just like, what are we what are we doing here? The what acquiring and reacquiring of players. Oh man, the Kings in the 90s. so I I had one trade on here that was kind of an acquire, unacquire, but I don't know if it's going to make my top five. But if there's time, I'll throw it in there, or maybe one All of right. you guys will get to I it. I have I have a acquire reacquire. All right. Okay. All right. So Jesse, I think it's is it back to you now? Yep. Like it's a double. It's a yeah, it's a double oh. for Jesse. Oh, gosh. Okay. Because uh, you have one yeah. more other than this one, yes. right? Right. Okay. All right. So then I'm going to go with um, the uh, the Rick Martin trade, um, who many people may not even know who that is. So I'm going to lean heavily on the article for this. Uh, background on March 2nd, 1989, with only 15 games remaining in the season, LA Kings left winger Charlie Simmer, part of the Triple Crown line, broke his leg. He had scored 56 goals in 65 games to that point and was part of the record-breaking Triple Crown line with Marcel Dion and Dave Taylor. The Kings were tied with Buffalo for fifth overall in the NHL with 79 points. Due to the addition of the four WHA franchises in 1979, the NHL playoffs were seeded based on total points and not division or conference placement. So they were in a pickle, right? They lose Charlie Simmer, 56 goal scorer. Oh my gosh, they need to do something, right? Kings traded their first and sixth round picks in the 1981 draft plus cash to the Buffalo Sabres for Rick Martin. And uh, I don't know how to pronounce this gentleman's name. Don Luce, L-U-C-E, at the trade deadline. Uh, why it looked like a good move. The Kings leading goal scorers in the 80-81 season were Dion Simmer and Taylor with 58, 56, and 47 goals, respectively. Nobody else on the Kings would score more than 20 that season. Losing Charlie Simmer for the rest of the season in the playoffs would be a crippling blow to the top line of a franchise that relied almost exclusively on that line. Don Luch was an 11-year veteran and considered one of the top penalty killers in the NHL, but the centerpiece of the trade was Rick Martin. He had played youth hockey with Marcel Dion in Quebec and had discussed the possibility of playing with him one day on the Kings. Martin was 29 years old, a two-time 50-goal scorer with 55 goals the previous 
sorry, 45 goals the previous season. At the time of the trade, he had one of the highest all-time goals per game averages and currently sits in 11th place on that list. Um, why was the terrible move? He was injured. Martin had undergone surgery on a February 9th and wasn't playing for the Sabres. Kings general manager George McGuire made the trade without consulting Martin, instead relying on the word of Sabres general manager Scotty Bowman that Martin would be available to play. If the Kings felt Martin wouldn't be able to contribute, they had the option of returning him to the Sabres and retaining their first round pick. They had to make the decision by April 1st. The season would end April 24th. This is from March 11th, 1981 in the LA Times. Scotty assured me that he was 100%, McGuire said, but we have until April 1st to determine whether A, he can play, or B, whether we feel he can't play. Martin said there was some doubt. There is a very legitimate possibility I might not be able to play, he said. I haven't spoken to anyone on the Kings, and now I find out there is a contingency. If I make a commitment to play for the Kings, I expect them to honor it, whether I can play this year or not. Informed of Martin's comments, McGuire said, you can call Mr. Martin and give him my compliments to go blank himself. What's he think I'm going to order? honor a quarter of a million dollar contract when he can't play. If Martin can't play the season, McGuire said, then decidedly the deal is off. Why the hell do you think I made it that way? After McGuire encouraged the rest the press to tell Rick Martin to go blank himself immediately following the trade, it seemed likely that the Kings would exercise their option to return him to Buffalo. Unfortunately, Martin had also made a number of comments about Scotty Bowman that complicated things. Scotty really played games with me, Martin said. This is from an LA Times article on March 11th. The whole thing was mishandled from day one. Martin charged I had surgery for torn cartilage, and it took three and a half months for them to find it. That's three and a half months that were wasted. Pretty upset about that. Maybe I could have been back playing by now. I don't like being called a faker and a liar, but you don't stand up to Scotty Bowman and not suffer the consequences. It's like telling God he's wrong. Yada, 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 yada. I included an audio clip in this article of a press conference with George McGuire where a female reporter asked him, do you think that you got screwed by Scotty Bowman? To which George McGuire replied in public to the press, I don't think Scotty Bowman could screw anybody, even you. Uh... <laughs> uh, he said that to Liz, uh, the late Liz Shanov, asking McGuire if he felt Bowman was trying to screw him. And that's McGuire telling her that I don't think Scotty Bowman could screw anybody, including you. Imagine Lombardi saying something like that to Helene Elliott. Even Rick Martin thought the Kings were going, were getting screwed. This is from April 1st, LA Times. No one was more elated by that news than 29-year-old Rick Martin. A dream came true. Come true, he said, adding that he had talked to Marcel Dion as early as last summer about coming to the Kings. Uh, and he understood how much more favorable the new terms of the deal were to the Kings. No 29-year-old player is worth a first-round pick for one of the top three players in the draft, he said. You'd be getting a 17- or 18-year-old who would put in 10, 12 years in the league. I don't think it was a good deal when L.A. gave up that kind of draft choice. Talking about himself. Uh, after all that, Rick Martin would only play one regular season game and one playoff game for the Kings in the 1980-81 season. He would play three regular season games for them in the 81-82 season before retiring from the NHL. So, <laughs> so you guys the pick was the fifth, time, right? Fifth overall pick, on by HBO. the way, and uh, and it was Tom Barrasso. Yeah, I, yeah, I've been watching that. <laughs> okay, so imagine if you had a Kings version, but oh, you called it uh, losing time. <laughs> Uh, I mean, people people wouldn't believe that any of the the storylines were real because all this no. stuff would happen. And yeah. just uh, for further context, the pick was the fifth overall pick uh, in the nineteen eighty three entry draft. The first four picks were Brian Lawton, Sylvain Turgeon, Pat Lafontaine, and Steve Eiserman. So the Kings wouldn't have had access to those four picks, but players they could have taken. Um, Tom Barrasso, John McClain, Russ Cortnell, Cam Neely, 
uh, Bobby Dallas. Let me just go by games played here. Uh, Claude Lemieux, Mark Bergevin, Rick Tockett, who they ultimately traded Luke Robitaille in order to get, Russ Cortnell, Bob Probert, yep. Essa Tikkanen, um, Joey Koser, Jeff Bukaboom, Peter Klima, who they ultimately went and got. Dominic Koshik was available in that draft. Sergio Mameso. So, um, yeah, so there were uh, there was all sorts of options that uh, one or two. They, they'd rather have four games of injured Rick Martin, who they could have not taken. They could have nullified the trade, uh, and everybody knew they were getting screwed in the trade, including the player himself. So <laughs> rough, rough, stuff. rough loss that's, for the Kings on that. That's one. so Kings. If I could borrow your buddies, oh, man. yeah, yeah, trademark there. Super duper Kings. Wow. And that's okay. only like half the article I wrote, by the way. There's Man. plenty. There's plenty more details. Man, All the right. silver lining, incidentally, was that that trade happened before you were a Kings fan, so it's fine. <laughs> a lot of these happened before I was born. That's the yeah. only silver lining I take <laughs> from all this. That's why I've been trying to focus on the ones that are mostly like in my lifetime, because mm-hmm. there's just too many of them, even immediately prior to my life lifetime. But hey, that's what you two are for. So hey. appreciate appreciate your all love right, for those. Let's... All right, on me. Okay. Uh, February 26th, 2017. Ben Bishop for Peter Budai and Eric Chernak. Ben Bishop leaves the Kings four months later to Dallas for a fourth round pick. Ends up playing well for Dallas for several years before injuries pretty much end his career. Eric Chernak remains a solid D-man for Tampa Bay, including for multiple Stanley Cup teams. Is Eric yeah. Chernak a left shot defenseman? I have to look yes. this up. Yeah, I think he is, though. I think he is. I think that hurts is. a little bit more, doesn't it? Yep. Oh, for <laughs> but sure. He, but even even if he wasn't, right? Like you're right, talking, right, right shooting. Uh, fine, fine. Two's but he's still right. a physical second-pairing solid D-man that the Kings drafted and traded away for Ben Bishop because they were concerned about, I believe, Jonathan Quick's health. That was the that was the, the tagline at that moment. And didn't Ben Bishop play five games for the Kings or at least got into five games? It was like two and three or some, some silly record like that. It just, just a weird, these are Dean's dark days. These these are are when he was exactly, this is like him flailing, trying to hold on to, to what was left of, of his dying era of general manager and coach combo with him and Daryl and still hurts, still hurts the team. Now I'm not saying that, they should have kept Ben Bishop over Jonathan Quick. That's that's kind of a silly point of discussion, but just it's giving up what you gave up for a guy like Ben Bishop that is a number one goaltender in the league was when you got him. And your plan was he's our backup to our actual number one goaltender and we're willing to give up this defenseman who ends up being a very solid defenseman. It's just a lot of nonsensical stuff. It's, it's stuff that like, even in that moment, you could immediately tell that we're not really sure what we're doing here. That's, that's kind of the telltale sign of when a GM's time is running out is when the moves just don't make a lot of sense. Can I push back a little bit or is that not the, is this not the right show for that? No, you can, you can push back. That's okay. So it was not a good trade. I certainly would never qualify it as a good trade. Um, We had Mark Unetti on and we asked, I asked him what happened with Chernak. Because a lot of people... Right, 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 right. So right, he whole... gave a little bit of context to that. I yes. won't go into all the details, but the gist of it is what Cherenik wanted out. He was done. Yeah. They had soured the relationship, and and Unetti confessed that it was on the Kings that yes. the relationship had soured, but it had. 
And that season 16, 17 was injury riddled. I think quick missed 60 games. Um, I think quick was out and Zatkoff was out too. And like all of a sudden Budai was mm-hmm. yeah playing that year and everybody was very pro Budai. And I was like, yeah, he's fine, but they've, you know, they're sheltering him as best they can. I think Kopitar had the first real injury of his career to Foley was injured. Like, they had missed in two thousand, missed the playoffs in two thousand fifteen. Gotten bounced in two thousand sixteen by the Sharks. That was the year Kopitar broke his ankle, right? Wasn't it just before the? No, that was no, eleven. That's twenty. That was also the Sharks, but different okay. year. Oh, in two thousand sixteen, they went down two to nothing to the Sharks, I think, and then won game three. That's right, Jose, and then lost Pearson in overtime. Yeah, right from Brown. Yeah. Um, but then, and then that was the uh oh, where they were coming off the ice and I was going, oh, I was like, yeah. And then they, they just got their heads caved in anyway. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, the fact that Sutter and Lombardi were fired at the end of that season after missing, you know, there's one way of looking at it and saying, well, they missed the playoffs two out of three years in 15 and 17. But you can just extend that and go, okay, sure. But they won the cup two out of the previous six years. So, you know, are they being fired for one bad year riddled with injury and one year where they missed the playoffs by two points in a season where they went something stupid like one and 11 in the shootout and Calgary and Vancouver had like, I'm just saying like, I don't know. Yeah. 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 No, 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 fair, fair. Um, and that trade falls into a similar category as the Sakura one for me, where it's like, okay, it was not a good trade. It did not work out. And even in the moment, to your point about Bishop being the backup for quick, you could say, okay, why that? But I'm not particularly upset about the cost versus the return because Chernick wanted out. And I don't think he was in the lineup at the time, right? He was just a no. Still he was prospect at he that was still point. A prospect. He was still so, a prospect. Yeah. I guess so. Uh, so, 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 in rebuttal to that, I can understand yeah. if a prospect is never going to join the team and you feel like it's best to move him. Mm-hmm. Then why move him for an asset like? Uh, no, it wasn't a good. I, yeah, I, I'm yeah. never going to defend it as a good trade. I yeah. just there. Are, I context keeps it off of my list. That's yeah. It. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Cars to you. I guess I'm gonna do my top two then, and then roll it back. Okay. Oh man, I hate this trade. Um, number two for me, and this is maybe a little more emotional, but also I think the proof is in the pudding. Kings trade Luke Robitaille to the Pittsburgh Penguins for Rick Tockett <laughs> in a trade that. Really hurt my feelings, guys. <laughs> it really did. Um, other than the fact that you're talking about one of the most beloved players in King's history who was, what, two seasons removed or one season removed from scoring 63 goals and s- setting the record for goals and points by a left winger in a single season. Um, the Kings make this trade and a lot of... To me, it was like ripping the heart out of a team kind of a trade. Like, you can make a trade if it's a good trade, and I'll be fine with it, even if there's an emotional attachment to it. But this was a double whammy of of tearing out the heart of the team, and I think the Kings were done after this trade pretty much as a competitive team. Uh, And a lot of the responsibility for the trade, yes, Sam McMaster made the trade, 
but a lot of talk that Wayne Gretzky kind of had his fingerprints on this one, um, which is, I don't, I don't know how true that is, but uh, the LA Times article states that Gretzky told Tockett, we might try to get you. And the kicker for me is that Tockett was recovering from a back surgery at the time. So the Kings and the LA Times article keeps using this word bruiser, a bruiser type <laughs> player. And it just pisses me off even more. Uh, because it's, it kind of implies that Luke Robitaille wasn't a tough player, which is nonsense, as we all know. The way he scored his goals, where he made his living, was the toughest area on the ice, night in and night out. Um, the Times article says, according to a family member, there were tears when Robitaille was informed of the deal. And then his agent, the very familiar to everyone, Pat Brisson, mentioned that, this is a quote, Wayne Gretzky is one of the greatest players ever. Luke learned a lot from Wayne, but Wayne is a player and should not be making the decisions. I don't know if he does or not. Just he's kind of like just saying. Um, and again, going back to the toughness thing, Brisson said, if Luke's game isn't tough, if that is not playing tough in front of the net, then I don't know what tough is. Talkit, I think, played a total of 80 games for the Kings. He pretty much for Did the rest score of his point per game. He was just under. Okay. He was just under. He had uh 35 and 36 in his two seasons. Um he he had a really good season with Arizona or Phoenix at the time um later, but I mean Robitaille in his first season with the Penguins 42 points in 46 games, then with the Rangers 69 points in 77 games. Luke didn't have great or at least for him great numbers with the Rangers and the Penguins, but he re- luckily returned to the Kings and kind of found his 30-goal form. He had four straight seasons of 30, 139, he almost had 40. So it's it's more of an emotional gut punch kind of a trade, but it kind of showed me that the Kings had really lost the plot with what they were trying to build. Can I, a couple can things, I, if I may. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh, can, just, just real quick, because mm-hmm. a, a, a side branch of this mm-hmm. trade kind of ended up on my, should I include it, should I not include it? Because going back to the idea of acquiring players that you've acquired before. So... Talk it was eventually traded for Kevin Stevens January 25th, 1996. <laughs> yeah. Wayne likely leaving at the end of that year. Talk it in a second, who ended up being Pavel Rosa was, oh. for Luke, was the original trade in 1994. Yeah, yeah there's a name for you. Yeah, it is. Um, Stevens was coming off of multiple injuries and was traded again the following year for Luke. And so that's how that's how Luke ended up coming back. But again, going back to Kevin Stevens, who was originally a Kings draft pick in the sixth round, and his rights were traded on September 9th, 1983 to Pittsburgh uh, in exchange for Anders Hawkinson. And so that's how Kevin Kevin Stevens ended up ended up being a key cog in their Stanley Cup uh, winning teams. So just weird 90s Kings. If I can color in a little bit of the history. Please, uh, first of all, Luke Robitaille scored one incredible goal for the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, in to tie the game late against the Chicago Blackhawks in overtime uh, to send the game <laughs> to I know sudden death <laughs> while the vice president of the United States of America was That's being right. held hostage by Powers Booth. That's right. Uh, and Jean-Claude Van Damme would ultimately go on to foil that plot and rescue everybody. So that was a Love huge it. moment for, huge moment for Luke Robitaille. Uh, however, I do want to uh, read from that article that you referenced because this is one of those things that will stick in my memory forever. Players should play and manners should manage, Robitaille said. I never spoke out about that. I just think it should be that way. In Pittsburgh, players are worried about playing, and that's it. Uh, 
about they're asked about the revelation by Rick Tockett, the player that acquired from Pittsburgh in Friday's trade, that Gretzky told Tockett recently that the Kings might try to acquire him. Robitaille said it's kind of weird the decisions will be made sometimes before people know. It's a weird situation what's going on in Los Angeles, and maybe it's going to be for the better, maybe it won't be. Maybe one of the reasons that I'm going is because I didn't agree with that. I never spoke out about it, but everybody I knew, but everybody knew I didn't agree with it. Uh, then later on in the article, by the way, can you imagine current NHL players being this candid post trade? I I feel like no one says anything anymore. That's true. Uh, we had a feeling they were trying to trade me. And then we heard through the grapevine that they were shopping me around quite a bit. Robitaille said, thanks to Mr. McNall and new majority partner, Joseph Cohen. I didn't get dumped anywhere. I went at least went at least to a place where we're wanted. So for that, I'll never be thankful enough. I just wanted to toss out. Um, do you guys know who Joseph Cohen is? No, not top of my head. No. There was a brief window of time where the Kings were owned by a pair of gentlemen, Jeffrey Sudikoff and Joseph Cohen. Uh, and they were the ones who placed the team into bankruptcy, not Bruce McNall. They uh-huh. purchased the team from bank from Bruce McNall. And then I think both of them also did time. Uh, <laughs> along Those with scamps. Bruce McNall. <laughs> So, uh, tricksters. Yeah. So, like we said, uh, with the McSorley trade and the payroll issues, I suspect Just, that the Robitaille trade might have also uh, been. This tied could be up the second season of Financial Time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, good times. Good times. All right. Man, my number man. one. I know Vardy knows my number one because I've been whining about it for <laughs> 30 years. In my opinion, it's not, I don't think it's the worst trade in King's history. But it's the one that probably had the most viscerally angry reaction from me as a child. <laughs> I was a child, but I remember <laughs> how mad I was uh, at this trade. The Kings acquire Jimmy Carson, Gary Shuchuk, mm. Mark Potvin in exchange for Paul Coffey, Jim Hiller, and Sylvain Couturier. Uh, most people will point to this trade and say, but Gary Shuchuk, he scored that important goal. Against no, Calgary. Vancouver, actually. Oh, was it? Okay, uh, sorry. Yeah, no problem. But to me, I think the magnitude of the player, Paul Coffey, the seasons he went on to have, and the fact that the Kings unknowingly were on the cusp of a Stanley Cup run, to acquire... To reacquire Jimmy Carson, because of what I mentioned earlier in the Nichols trade, is because they didn't have center depth and they needed a center. To trade a Hall of Fame defenseman, one of the greatest defensemen, possibly second or third all time, for this return, to me, is unacceptable. It still makes me mad. The reasoning behind it and some of the quotes coming out of the LA Times uh, make me even more angry. Kings owner Bruce McNall never wanted to part with Jimmy Carson when he made the blockbuster deal for Wayne Gretzky with the Edmonton Oilers in 1980. This is from the article now. Um, Right out of the gate, that sentence angers me right away. I understand you don't want to part with a good young player, but you got to keep Luke Robitaille. That's the one you really wanted to keep. And this article kind of suggests that Bruce McNall... And Carson says it. He says, Bruce McNall, Bruce McNall told me when he traded me before that someday he'd get me back. But I didn't believe him. <laughs> Such a romantic team, the 90s Kings were. Mm-hmm. Here's Paul Coffey. I wonder why this trade was made. <laughs> I don't know why I'm going to Detroit. Nothing against Detroit. 
There was so much pressure on Wayne. One thing I wanted to do was take some of the heat off of him and put it on my shoulders. I feel really bad for Wayne. I feel real empty right now. Uh, Melrose, Barry Melrose, the article suggests, really wanted Gary Shuchuk and Potvin even before the season had started. Having known them from coaching, I'm not going to pronounce that, Adored? Adenrock. Yeah, there you go, Adenrock. Thank you. Uh, Nick Beverly was on the Kings scouting staff when the team made Carson its second pick. Beverly said, we're singing a lot of praise towards Paul Coffey, and rightfully so, but I'm not apologizing for making the deal. Jimmy Carson is a great player in his own right. Uh, Jimmy Carson, at the time of the trade with Detroit, had come off a season or was in the midst of a season where he had uh, 25 goals, 26 points, 51 uh, 25 goals, 26 assists, 51 points, 52 games, which is fine. As soon as he got to the Kings, his career took a complete nosedive. Uh, after that, Paul Coffey went on to the Red Wings, where in 93-94, he scored 77 points. In 94-95, he scored 58 points in a shortened season. In 95-96, scored 74 with the Red Wings. Didn't get to win a Stanley Cup, but he, he was in one of the Cup runs. I... I, it's hard to say that, hey, if the Kings had Paul Coffey, they would win the Stanley Cup. But I'm saying if the Kings had Paul Coffey, they would win the Stanley Cup. That's what I'm <laughs> saying right now. And that's why this is number one for me in in one of the worst trades in Kings history, but one that really, really bothered me at the time and will forever bother me. Yep. There you have it, folks. I've been hearing this story for many times and I'm, I'm glad you have an outlet man i'm glad you got the event can, to vent can i really quickly go back and clarify something i said so i don't yes. feel like i'm on the record as slandering somebody or or libeling them whatever sure um former los angeles king's owner jeffrey p sudikoff was sentenced to a year in prison and fined three million dollars friday for illegal insider trading in connection with his now defunct communications firm mm -hmm. the 44 year old businessman pleaded guilty settling federal charges surrounding his unloading of stock uh, in exchange for his plea to two counts of insider trading and one count of failing to file a proper form of the Securities and Exchange Commission, prosecutors dropped charges of conspiracy, forgery, and lying to auditors, investors, and the SEC. So just wanted to set the record straight. All right. <sighs> good, good, good. Okay. Again, my my five trades don't necessarily have an order to sure. them in terms of what's worse. or, But this one really... Again, the, the butterfly effect pre and post of this trade, and you probably know where I'm going with this, still, I feel like, resonate. Going back to that fairy tale season, <laughs> June 26, 2015, Milan Lucic for Martin Jones, Colin Miller, and a first-round pick. Boston Bruins turn around and flip Martin Jones immediately <laughs> to the San Jose Sharks, which I think... I think I think even that Dean was like, damn, they pulled a fast one on me. Um, immediately to San Jose, Lucic was brought in uh, pretty much in favor, maybe not directly, but the idea was if you bring in Lucic, you're, you're letting Justin Williams walk. And yep. that's exactly what happened. Justin Williams coming off of winning a Conn Smythe Trophy second cup, walks, goes to Washington, has additional very good seasons in his career. Milan Lucic was on a one-year deal and the thought was, we'll somehow make this work. We'll somehow get him to resign. That never happened. <laughs> uh, he left to Edmonton, I think, afterwards on a big free agent deal. Um, 
And then the worst part is that first round pick that that got traded. Uh, granted, the Bruins ended up picking three times in a row, by the way, in that first round. And I think really the best player that they got out of that was, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Yet again, I'm terrible at this. But essentially, the rumor always was that the Kings were high on Matt Barzal in the first round. And if the Kings were drafting, both Matt Barzal and Kyle Connor were still on the board at that point. So just as was Elias Amsonov, Joel Erickson, Eck, Brock Besser. Correct. I mean, many, many players, but yeah. the most immediate, like, okay, yes. they're in this range. The ones that went pretty the closely. The next player that, taken after those three in a yes. row was Matthew. Brown. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the layers, I think are really yeah. what get me on this trade. The layers of what that season meant for the Kings and how it all kind of started falling apart for the Kings in that off season. This was the first move. And I loved that one year of Lucic. I thought that was all fun. And it kind of went with the vibe that we had been cultivating for the last several seasons, but to not be able to re-sign him and to lose all of these things, the, the sunk cost that still resonates when you see guys like Matt Barzal be who they are, you know, and, and not that I think they were going to keep Martin Jones over Jonathan Quick at any point, given, given the run that they had had, but having him get flipped, come back immediately into the division afterwards, it just, beat the oh, Kings. In the it's just, round. it's just, man, just it's, it's death by a thousand cuts on this trade for me. And to me, that's, that, that's what hurts the most with this one. I've actually defended this trade a couple of times, even though it's pretty much indefensible, but I, I, I have in the sense that I don't have an issue with the trade in a vacuum as a trade, but going to your point, Vardy, when you think about the domino effect of everything, let's say the first round pick too, like you don't like we we think the Kings were targeting Matt Brazil as fans. You and I think that, but it, to me, the loss of Justin Williams is yes. the most impactful part of that entire trade. Milan Lucic had a good season. He brought the element or whatever that the Kings were lacking, but it goes back to kind of the kind of ripping the heart out of your team thing I was talking about with Robitaille. Their leadership was crumbling on that team. It seemed like every day a leader was dropping off and to lose. And I think Williams was like the last nail in the quote-unquote leadership coffin and then you saw the turmoil with the captaincy and all this other stuff kind of follow after that so i think the williams aspect of it is what really i can't defend this trade past that point like in a vacuum i could say yeah i I could see why he did it but as soon as you kind of look at the collateral damage it's it's pretty much over yeah yeah and i think it's that's that's the only way you can look at it because Technically, Williams doesn't have anything to do with this trade, right? Like you had to know that they basically decided that like, no, we're going to let him walk in favor of bringing on a guy like Milan Lucic. And and that's that's where I think you start kind of losing it right off the You're just like, oh man, really? That's, I don't know. That's that's kind of a weird approach to this, but okay. All right, I guess we're, we're you know, in for a penny, in for a pound here, Dean. But yeah, the long term, it just, it clearly that season started off on the wrong foot and kept going. Jesse, your thoughts? Uh, on my final trade? Yeah. Yes. My final trade is the trade of Martin Jones, Colin Miller, and a first-round pick to, to 
solidarity, brother, for Milan Lucic. <laughs> I. It's really difficult to say that I think it's the worst trade in franchise history because I just laid out, you know, they traded the pick that was Ray Bork for a goalie that nobody wanted. They traded, you know, a first round pick for Rick Martin, even though Rick Martin and everybody else alive was telling them not to do it and they could have walked away from it. <laughs> they arguably defrauded Larry Murphy and then traded him three years into his Hall of Fame. Like there have been some unbelievably bad trades. So it's difficult to say that this is the worst trade in franchise history. However, because it's so recent and because of all the reasons we all just laid out, to me, it's not like the Lucic return was fine and Boston retained 50% of his salary. So for that one year of Lucic, I get it however the trade uh colin miller is still playing right yes yes and has had himself a solid little career um he's had himself quite a good career frankly and he's a right shot defenseman which even though the kings recently had too many at the time you know would have been great i don't think they had traded chair i don't even think they'd soured on chernick at that actually i don't even think they drafted chernick at that point but they could have after losing voinov you know a right shooting defenseman not losing i don't mean to imply that yeah they were somehow wrong but you know what i mean um you could have had dowdy chernick and miller if you'd played your cards right um down the right side which would have been just fine i think with everybody martin jones would have martin jones for milan lucic for one year of milan lucic would have been acceptable. Mm-hmm. Martin Jones and Colin Miller for one year of Milan Lucic is maybe getting a little bit up there for me. Tossing in a first round pick to get out of here. Yeah. Because you're actually trading two first round picks yes. because you could have traded Martin Jones for a first exactly. round pick. Exactly. And the likelihood of bringing Milan Lucic back at the end of that season was low. It was incredibly low. Boston retained 50% of his salary on that trade. He signed with Edmonton for an unbelievable amount. And I think they had already been through that dance with Sekera, right? Even though we defend that trade. Correct. Correct. In the moment, Sekera yes. wanted more money. And because they had given Gabarik the extension and they had bought out Green at that point, I believe, and they still had Carter on his deal and they had signed Martinez to essentially the same contract they had signed Voinov to because once Voinov's contract was voided, they had cap space and they didn't want to lose another defenseman. So they gave, like they didn't have cap space. So the idea that they were going to somehow retain Milan Lucic seems silly to me. Right. And it seemed silly in the moment. It did. That was, that um, was the point of discussion right off the bat right. was basically like, well, what's the plan after this season? It was like, oh, right. we'll figure it out. Sure. Something, you know. And then because they didn't have any cap space and they probably felt like they needed to do more, they wound up getting Vinny LeCavalier and Luke Shen. <laughs> yes. Which I don't think was a terrible trade because I don't remember. I think maybe Jordan, was that the Jordan Wheel trade? I don't yeah, remember. It was, yeah. Okay. Not, who cares about Jordan Wheel? No offense right. to Jordan Wheel, but like it didn't hurt. Right. But I never liked Le Cavalier here in LA. I, I just didn't think he, I mean. Well, he was like beyond the tail end of his career. Everybody he was, he knew was he was yeah. retiring at the end of the year. And Luke yeah. Shen wasn't suited to the role that they needed him to play. That yeah. Season. And yeah. they stormed out to a, a first good three first months of the season, partially on the strength of Milan Lucic. Then they made those trades and just coasted. And then that's the season they go into the playoffs against San Jose and really don't show anything. Right. And just right. kind of fold in the first round. Right. And I don't know 
I don't want to like slander Milan Lucic or anything. And I also don't want to overemphasize the importance of Justin Williams, but to the argument about leadership and all that, I look at what happened in 2014 versus 2016, <laughs> right? Like yep. yeah. they were down Oh three against the sharks in 2014 and somehow found a way to win that series. And they were down Oh two. Um, or down two to one to San Jose in 2016 and got right. dummy. Now I grant you that 2016 Sharks team was quite good, but yeah, two first round picks and Colin Miller, which maybe could have netted you a second, a third, maybe like for a team that was capped out, needed to start replacing older players with younger players and instead doubled down on. I, I, again, I keep, Le Cavalier, Shen, you know what I mean? Like it, uh, it keeps going back to, in my mind, Dean had a fascination with a guy like Milan Lucic and wanted to get a guy like Milan Lucic no matter what the cost. Mm -hmm. That prototypical power forward, you know, rarity unicorn kind of the, the Matthew Brady Kachuk, you know, prototype kind of player. He, he loved that kind of player. He wanted that kind of player and was willing to give up all of these things, including bringing back Justin Williams for Milan Lucic and the smallest possibility of re-signing Milan Lucic which in hindsight actually ended up being a blessing in disguise for the Kings that they didn't end up giving him the type of deal that the Edmonton Oilers did because he has never been that kind of player since basically. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't, I hate that trade. Now I will say, uh, and it sort of puts a lot of all of these in perspective. I had a fight with Jim Fox about this trade at the uh, time or recently. No, very, very recently. Oh, nice. fighting uh, for six years. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was actually during the season. I don't remember, but we were, it was, it, the topic came up during some practice. And so Jim and me and the assembled media were sitting around and the topic came up and Jim's position. And I have to admit, um, when Jim says something, it doesn't always change my mind, but it will at least make me go, oh, okay, well, at least now I have to listen to this. Sure. His argument was, what if they had won the cup that year? Oh, yeah. Would we still look at it as a bad trade? Of course not. See, I would say yes, I would still look at it as a bad trade. Because I think the first one I mentioned, the Dustin Penner trade, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't like that trade. Right. Now, would I be fine with that trade if they won the cup in 16? Sure. Right? Two first-round draft picks. And Colin Miller for a third cup. Yeah, fine. I'll, I will live with it. I will happily yeah. live with it. I yeah. probably, probably even sign up for it and, uh, and happily so. But I don't think that that makes it a good trade. And Jim's point was that you can't judge a trade on the results. You have to trade it. You have to judge it on what it was trying to accomplish and did it accomplish what it was trying to do. So in his mind, they were trying to make another push for a third cup. Lucic had a good season. They faltered in the playoffs, but you can't possibly pin that on one guy and you can't blah, 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 blah. So like, I got, that's kind of what my defense has been in, yeah. in previous years when I've talked about this trade. It's like, I, that's why I say I get it. I'm sure Dean Lombardi, just like any other GM, when you're coming off the kind of success, the Kings that had and, and you, and you miss the playoffs, you kind of get into that mode of like, how much time do we have to capitalize on this right mm -hmm. now? And if he felt at that time that Milan Lucic was the guy to get him that third one, who's I, I kind of agree with Jim a little bit, but although I will say the leadership aspect of it, you can't, you can't really ignore because Richards was gone at that point. Um, Willie Mitchell was gone at that point. So these guys are again, dropping, dropping, dropping. And you know, 
the impact of a Justin Williams on the locker room. So there's a spectrum. I think you have to like lay under the timeline and the further you get from the summer of 2014, the more obvious I think it becomes that the straws are being grasped. Right. So right. the Sekera trade, you go, all right, the season, you know, it's the next season, right? right? It's not even done. You've lost William Mitchell. You've lost Slava Voinov. The Slava Voinov thing, again, not defending what he did or the punishment that he received, just pointing out that the punishment he received was unprecedented in league history. He mm-hmm. was suspended uh, with pay and his cap hit still counted against the Kings for most of that season. So they couldn't replace him. Right. And then at some point in the season, I don't remember the timeline exactly, the cap hit lifts and you're like, okay, go out and get Sakara. If they can make the playoffs, this is a team that won the cup two out of the last three years. They made the Western Conference final. So you go like, oh, okay, that one I get. Then they have, they miss the playoffs. Then the next season, you trade for Lucic in the summer. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, all right, well, it was a wacky season. We had all this bad stuff. I mean, I'm it's sorry, not even the I, summer, right? It's 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 four months after you just traded for Sekiro, isn't it? Am I am I yeah, messing up no, the I think timeline that's about here? Right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, three, so, three or four so months. I, and I think and that's my problem is like, okay, yeah. you swung at Sekiro, you missed. It right, didn't now you're go trading through. another first, and round. then you're yeah. and you're, you're just like doubling, you know, like you're just throwing good money after bad, trying to like pull yourself and, out of this. And now you've lost Mike Richards, Willie Mitchell, and correct, Justin and yeah. Justin Williams. Like you're just right. doubling it's a different down, team now. Yeah. and you're and you're spiraling, and and that's that's what I mean is like it's the team falling apart, it's Dean's legacy falling apart in front of him, and he realizes, which is kind of one of the shitty things about going back to your point of it, in the salary cap era, it's very difficult for a GM to maintain that level of consistent success and ownership or whoever and whatever personality issues may have developed with Dean and, and Daryl Sutter versus management, they don't have the patience for losing, right? So it, it, I think he probably felt that he was losing his position and they, they were not going to be patient with him through a period of rebuilding. And so he decided that he was going to go balls to the walls, do everything he possibly can to maintain another run at things. But they're still in the window. Like I don't. Yeah, they, they, I'm not saying they're not, but my point is the that Kopitar's like, age. I I at get the time, that. Dowdy, I, I, I get that, but I feel like these trades are. It's it's a GM flailing a little bit. It's a GM basically saying like I've hit on all these trades before. I'm gonna get me another Carter. I'm gonna hit me another Gabarek. Like you know, it's it's a gambler's thing. You know, like oh I I won these hands, so all right, that was a bad loss. It's a bad beat, but I'm gonna double down and I'm gonna bring it back. That's that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, to me. I think like the to... flailing probably starts after the Lucci trade. The flailing started before they won the first cup. Like I want to make that perfectly clear. <laughs> the flailing started with the Dustin Penner trade. I'm being totally serious. Like. <laughs> The 2011-2012 season is a bonkers miracle. Yeah, it wasn't. An it wasn't some sort yeah. of brilliantly crafted yeah. genius execution. Like, no, they made the playoffs in like the last two games of the regular season, and and they acquired Jeff Carter because the season had been going terrible. They fired their coach. Right. They traded Jack Johnson in a first for Jeff Carter. It, it wasn't. It, it was wasn't no plan. a vision. Well, there yeah. was, but it wasn't that. Yeah. Um. And then, whether by luck or design they retained that team and made it better for 2014. But, but this is people always say like, well, there's two Dean Lombardi's the, you know, before the cups and after the cups. And I said, this is the same guy. Yeah. It's just when he came on board, they had cap space and air and runway to make mistakes. And then after the cups, they ran out of runway. 
Right. And suddenly the mistakes mattered. And, you know, it's a terrible analogy. I apologize for making it. But I have frequently said I wasn't planning on winding up with the job I have. If I was trying to get the job I have, I would have made totally different decisions hmm. and they would have been wrong and I wouldn't have wound <laughs> up with the job. Yeah, that's a fair point, man. But that's I, a didn't, fair point. I didn't know that the decisions I was making would lead me to where I am. So now that I'm here, the question is, well, okay, do I behave differently? Do I make decisions differently? Am I guided right. by the same whatever? And, you know, like this is not a trade, but my Marion Gabbard's contract extension in the summer of 2014 yeah. was a terrible move. Yeah. It was yeah. a terrible, it was an awful move. And in Agreed. the moment, it was an awful move, right? It's not like everybody looked at it and went, golf right. clap, you know, Dean Lombardi hits another one out of the park. It was like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, um, it was a perfect rental based on what you yeah. gave up and everything. It was just lined up to be a perfect rental. And I mean, I've probably told this story before, but the first podcast we recorded after the 2014 Stanley Cup win was recorded outside of Staples Center, then Staples Center, now Crypto.com Arena. With me and my dumb friends, uh, not in the parking lot, but out on, I don't remember what street we were on, but just in the bedlam of the win. And I did the intro and then instantly wanted to talk about when they were going to buy out Mike Richards' contract. That's everybody got mad at me for for not having the the patience to just revel in the moment. But I was like, no, I'm sorry. They have an opportunity to buy out Mike Richards' contract. And they did. That's a big one. That's that's probably bigger than. That's the bigger one, honestly. That's a huge. You talk about ramifications till today. Yeah. You look at players that the Kings couldn't retain, or maybe something as simple as having the money to sign Gabe Velarde, let's say, hypothetically, and acquire a big center. If they could, it's not possible because of little decisions like that. And mm-hmm. the Mike Richards one still carries to this day. And I've often said that's probably one of the biggest mistakes of Dean Lombardi's tenure is to have that compliance buyout of get out of jail free and choosing to pass on it. And I guess I, I respect the emotional attachment, but I don't because <laughs> <laughs> um even after opting not to buy out the contract, then everything that happened with Mike Richards, you, you look at players, um, Carey Price carries a huge contract. Um, and Montreal did not, isn't paying him until 2042. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Like there are alternatives <laughs> to helping employees who have substance abuse problems other than just right <laughs> tossing them completely under the bus yeah, that, right. and trying to buy yourself some more cap space like right. everybody talks about how you know oh his loyalty was the thing that killed him i don't I, it's not how i define loyalty yeah so man I, I didn't think we were going to do a very <laughs> I, I like where this went, though. I like where this <laughs> where this tangent led to. Yeah, I had a fe- I had a feeling it might go to these places. I mean, we we call these episodes "List Miserable" for a reason. Is what we've traditionally called them. We leaned heavy into the Miserable, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, makes you appreciate the good times, which are hopefully ahead. Vardy, it's episode one hundred and five. I think it's fitting if we let our our friend Jesse Cohen play the jersey. Oh man, no way! Wow. Instead of me, I. I I, I might take a seat on this one and let That's, him have it. I, I think he's going to do well. So person. I have to come up with number fives. Yes. Yes. Vardy pulls up the list. He tells you the list. I tell you how many there are. All right. And then you start rattling them off. I've got two I, off the top of my head. Okay. That's a good start. 
Uh, I think I might be in the stock at two, though. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just give me a second here, because I don't know these numbers off the top of my head, so good for All you right. for knowing a couple of them. I got at least four, Jesse. Come on. <laughs> I've got two. <laughs> All right, hold on. This thing's taking a while here. All right. But, um, so yeah, and then and then F, as you kind of like run out of mental capacity for these, then I'll start helping you out and giving all you right. eras and things like no, that. All right, so, all right. all right, let me see here. Opening up. Okay. Oh boy, bold, Jesse. Bold of you to expect that I won't cheat. <laughs> <laughs> it's an honor system. That's okay. Yeah, that's right. All right. So you picked a terrible episode to come on because there are twenty-one players who have worn the number five for the <laughs> wow. LA Kings. All right. Uh, now, some first... of these again. I'm, I'm going off of I'm going off a of hockey reference here. So, some every once in a while, Gato points out that that's incorrect. It's a preseason uh, number or something of that effect. So, hockey okay, reference has Gavrikov listed as number four, by the way, which is very funny. All right. Stumbled <laughs> yeah, onto that exactly. Thing. Exactly. Uh, Muddy Waters, I think, were number five. Muddy Waters. Muddy Waters. Looking. His name. First name yeah, is not Muddy. Tim. Yes. Yeah, Tim, Tim Waters. Waters. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, yes, there and, he is. Well, that's right in my wheelhouse. Eighty-nine Aki, and ninety-five. Yes. Aki Berg, I believe. Yes, yes. he sure did. Immediately Got after the middle uh, name. Look yeah. at that. Immediately after uh, Tim uh, Waters, ninety-six to two thousand one. I believe there's two players, and I always get their names mixed up. Uh, but I think they both played forward defenses. Is why I screwed up. I uh, love those. My favorite left wing slash D. My favorite, my favorite <laughs> position. Peter Harold, indeed. Peter okay. Harold, two thousand eight to two thousand eleven. Sure that's all I'm going to get off the. No. Top, off the oh, yeah. you got. Come on, you got a couple more in you. I I really don't think I do. Man, let me all right, let me Kaj, fire. You jump let in? me fire okay, a couple go for here. It, go for it. Um, Christian Folan. Oh yes. god damn it. 2018. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Sure. I got another oh, that's one. That's annoying. Oh. Uh this is why this game is amazing. Yeah. Right, go on. I might be wrong about this, but I'm gonna go Keaton Ellerby. You are quite yeah. right. 2013 yeah. Keaton Ellerby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys know the story of the Keaton Ellerby's Twitter account? Do not. Was I don't this remember. The... This is very Wait, recently. Did he have a burner or something? No, <laughs> he he got hacked. And his Twitter oh, account was yeah. taken over by yes, somebody yes, like yes, selling yes, yes, yes. sports so, like, like, gambling Bitcoin. or something. Oh, yeah, and right. like I wound up going like into DMs with whoever it was. And Keaton Ellerby contacted the Kings and we contacted yes. him. But he couldn't figure out how to get his account back. And the person was like, I, I wound up having a number of interactions with this scammer and they i can't even remember how it resolved itself but i think they wound up asking for like 150 dollars or something insanely stupid um anyway never resolved and if you go look up his account it is still uh in possession of the wow of the sports gambling advice wow so all, all right, right boys so, so here's uh, one that he, here's one that oh you, hold on uh, i'm not done okay. oh, my bad my bad thomas ziska Oh, Indeed, wow. that's the one that I Deep remember. Roll. Zizka. How do you remember? I remember his enough, name, not his number. I'm not even great at this game, but that was the one that I remembered for some reason. <laughs> that's my somewhere in the deep-seated uh, moments of my it. head. Yeah, Thomas right. Zizka's number five is, is is planted in there for some reason. Let me see if I could pull one more. If if I can't, you can go on. Um... There's one in between Zizka and Harold. What year? Uh, 2006 to 2007. Do you know the nationality? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of, what's his I, birthday? I, I think Canadian. I want to say. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is that all? That can't be all. 
No, is it Jason Holland, who I think is the other guy that I no, keep confusing with no, Peter Harold? <laughs> no, 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 it's not. It's not. One of the, wasn't Jason Holland coming back recently after you, I thought uh, I saw him getting a PTO or something somewhere. <laughs> Maybe no, I'm wrong about that. Um, all right. You guys give up for the yeah. sake of time? Yeah. Sure. Brent, Brent Sobel. Oh, okay. Sure, 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 sure. But he was here for like a month. All right. The man still wore number five. You know, uh, yeah, fair, 2006 fair, fair. to 2007. All right. All right. You got me. Um, and then after Keaton Ellerby and before Christian Folan. How many games? Oh, man, my, okay, my computer yeah. is being super slow right now. So I'm sorry. That's fine. Don't, it's fine. Probably not uh, going to get it. Two, so. Jesse, any thoughts? Mm-mm. No, I, that was it. Uh, I had those three and that was it. All right. All right. Uh, Jamie McBain. Oh, oh McBain. <laughs> we we had a Photoshop done of Bane from The Dark Knight Rises with a kilt on. At kilt oh, at that's one of them Scottish poofball hats. What about Larry Murphy? Larry Murphy, oh, yeah. one number five. Jeez, I, I just was, was man, staring I was, at his I was, picture. Yeah, yeah. I was literally going to throw this out there. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. And then there was one actually after Christian Fullen. I cheated. I looked. Okay. Why don't you say it then? Mark Alt. Yeah, Mark Alt. Yeah. Who was what? what like one game, two games? I don't even remember yeah, this person. It, it, he, he played. Was an he alt. was. I think he, he was, was literally the, an alt. I think he might alt have been the five? captain of the rain <laughs> for a year. <laughs> yeah, he was alt five. Um, yeah, two games. Yeah, <laughs> he was signed to play with the rain during the okay. COVID season. I think. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't going to get that. No. All right. So I'm working backwards from Tim Waters. Oh, you, you want to give it another do, go? Do you, do you want to really go through the entire? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll go he, fast. I usually do. Yeah, fire him off. Let's go. All right, all right. So, uh, Denny LaRock in 1988. Mark Hardy, apparently, 86 to 88. Was he wearing five during that period of time? Wow, he's had... So, he's had three different numbers with the Kings then. Yeah. Uh, Brian Engblom from 84 to 86, apparently wore oh. number five at some point. Involved in the trade for... Uh, the, I was going to say, <laughs> another yeah. name that came up. Uh, Jerry Korab in 1980. Yeah. Uh, Richard Mulhern at 79-80, uh, Bob Murdoch from 74 to 79, uh, Noel Price, 71, Harry Howell, 71 to 73, uh, Larry Johnston, 1968, Brent Hughes, 68 to 1970, and the very first number five in King's history, Dave Amadio, no relationship to Mike Amadio that we are aware of. But the very first Amadio in King's history. The very first Amadio, indeed. Undeniable fact. Well, this was our longest episode ever. Yeah, sorry about that. No, no, no it's, it's okay. A, it's we haven't fitting, recorded in like a month and it needed to happen. So three people trying to get their Kings fandom in is, is always is always difficult. Jesse, I, I don't know. We we gotta thank you, man. This was That's this was pleasure. a lot of fun. Thanks Absolutely. for coming on. Uh hopefully you enjoyed in the misery. Uh clearly you've got a background <laughs> in it. You've got an encyclopedic <laughs> yeah. uh collection of misery that you can't have remember documented. anybody that wore number five though. <laughs> it's okay you have other miserable memories that's all right for anyone out there who wants to deep dive into this apparently you can just go to the royalhalf.com and find cohen's catastrophes and really really enjoy jesse's work here um thank you again we we hope to see you soon again during the regular season once it gets started up for everyone else thank you for listening uh please like subscribe uh review us please Keep the Twitter interaction coming. It's been kind of quiet during the month of August, but things are going to heat up here as soon as September rolls around. Uh, for my colleagues here, I think I speak for all of them. I say go Kings go. See you soon. 
You've been listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast.